In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Texas has Dr. Phil. Georgia has Guidestones. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Of course the world is ending. Why else would Starbucks keep its prices high during a recession? Anything goes in Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. Paratopia, please welcome my very special guests, Melissa Reed, who is uh, a fantastic artist and, of course, the art director, art curator of Culture of Contact events, and her father, Charles Reed, who was the, I'm going to screw this up, youngest lieutenant in the 82nd <laughs> well, Airborne? Not, not entirely. No, that, that isn't necessarily so. Everybody in those days was young. All right. <laughs> He was in World War II. That's all you need to know. Well, actually, yeah. there is something else we need to know. You went to high school with Gene Shepard, right? Well, I don't know for sure. Uh, I haven't been able to clear that up. Uh, his movie, uh, what was it, A Christmas Story? That's right. It has all the elements of uh, my ele- elementary school experience back in Warren, Ohio. Was there a Scott Farkas? <laughs> Yeah, names of schools and streets and all stores, all the rest of it. Was there really a, a bully named Scott Farkas? Oh, I'm sure there was somewhere in our group. <laughs> I recall some of the uh, strange names we uh, had given each other, but there had to be a Scott Farkas there somewhere. All you have to do is look for the boy with the yellow eyes. That's yellow yeah, eyes, I, I tell you. Or Grover Dills, you know. Uh, now, that, that, that elementary school, wasn't that... Uh, uh, based on your school, Dad, in the, in the movie A Christmas Story. Yeah, it was the same name, Garfield Elementary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Uh, wow. Lots so, of schools were named after Garfield in those days. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get into the Georgia Guidestones here, and I'll ask you guys to explain them. But first, I want to know, um, you you've had UFO sightings, right, and sort of uh, alien contact events. Is that something that you're willing to talk about? Well, I'm willing to talk about it, but uh, I won't certify that it was a contact event. It was a strange event. Let's put it that way. Okay. What was the first thing that happened, and what was the year? Uh, Jeremy, I'm trying to pin down the year. I believe it was 1947. Uh, I was separated from the service in 1946, so I was living with my parents at the time, getting ready to go back to college, and I believe it was 1946 probably late 1947, in Hollywood, Florida. And uh, I occupied the front bedroom in the house, and in those days, air conditioning was a rare thing, so everyone kept their windows open at night. And uh, you could hear all of the twittering of the bugs and so on outside. Uh, Would you like to uh, hear what uh, what happened, what occurred that night? No, that's good enough. Yes, of course. Yeah, all right. (laughs) So um, I was a sound sleeper, as always, and at some time during the night, uh, I heard uh, 
a loud wind that seemed to be blowing through the neighborhood, much like the beginning of uh, the early winds of a hurricane. And it grew louder and louder. And I could hear the coconut trees in the front yard, the palm fronds uh, rattling against each other, characteristic of them in a strong wind. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, that got my attention, the loud wind and the rustling of the uh, palm trees. I woke up and, and I remember thinking that this is strange to have this occurring at this time of the year. And at that moment, the uh, the bedroom began to glow with a uh, all-pervading light in the bedroom. And, of course, that, that was, needless to say, most unusual. Uh, and then I became aware that uh, I, w- I was rigid. I couldn't move a muscle. Uh, I couldn't move a finger. I couldn't, I just couldn't do anything. I was totally paralytic, you, you might say. And uh, I can't verify the time sequences one thing after another, but it, it seemed to occur rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, I was sure that uh, there was some kind of a presence in the room, uh, m- not a physical presence or even a presence that was visible, but uh, I was aware of a presence uh, lurking somewhere uh, at the foot of the bed and high up near the ceiling. And uh, in that paralytic state, uh, I received the message, at least I imagined that I received it, that uh, uh, come with me uh, or come with us or something like that. Anyway, come along, uh, urging me to uh, come along. And uh, I resisted that, you know, having been a GI in World War II and so on, I wasn't going to jump out and come along with somebody I didn't know for no good reason. <laughs> and uh, so then the, uh, the messenger or, or the presence stopped urging me to do that, but I had the strange feeling that if I had succumbed to, to the command that uh, I was going to die. Hmm. Uh, uh, I, felt this, I felt it to be a, a dangerous presence. Uh, not a friendly presence, so I resisted as much as I could and finally moved a toe and then another toe and so on, and after a few very brief moments, uh, the spell broke, the light disappeared, and the wind and the coconut trees outside uh, ceased blowing. That was it for the night, and I thought, my God, that's strange. I ought to check around and see if anybody around here heard that, but... Uh, being not necessarily that concerned, I went back to sleep. Mm-hmm. But the next day, I asked uh, my folks if they had heard the loud wind the night before, and they said they hadn't. So that was it. I let it go. Hmm. About six months later, the identical event occurred. The, the loud wind uh, uh, outside the window in the palm trees, the rustling of the palm fronds. It was an extremely loud wind, not a normal gale or anything. It was much more intense than that. Once again, the, the bedroom uh, glowed with a light, and the presence was there again, urging me to come along. And um, I had the same feelings, and uh, moved the toe, and best I could. It required intense concentration, I remember, to, uh, to stir out of the, the paralytic state. 
And, of course, then the light went out and the wind went down, and that was that. So once again, the next day I asked my folks if they had heard a loud wind blowing during the night, and they hadn't. So uh, I didn't say anything about it. It was just my secret or my my story to keep to myself. Uh, but since then, I've read about uh, what is this uh, paralytic sleep state that some investigators claim you can find yourself in. Uh, right. What is it called? There's sleep a paralysis. Sleep paralysis. Yeah, I've read about that, and uh, I can't be sure that it wasn't that. Uh, I, I probably. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm skeptical of the sleep paralysis, and I'm also skeptical of that long time ago event. Did so you ever see fun. UFOs uh, or something you would classify as a UFO? No, no, I, I didn't do that, and. Uh, I thought about it because at that time, you know, 1947 in that era, uh, the well-known alleged event had when in Arizona, New Mexico. Right. Yeah, New uh, Mexico. No, no, was that 1947? Maybe that was in yes. the West Coast. I didn't realize that, Dad, that uh, you had that experience uh, at the same time that Roswell occurred. Yeah, it was during that period, uh, late 47, I believe it occurred to me. And I did associate it because uh, people were talking about it then, and it was an interesting conversation. And I uh, thought, my God, did a UFO land out here in, in the street in Hollywood, Florida? And I thought to myself, well, why would a UFO want to land in Hollywood, Florida? <laughs> What's going well, on here? You know, it's so it's interesting. vacation capital, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Anyway, sure, Jeremy, it did occur to me, and uh and I've often thought about maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And I've also weighed in on the sleep paralysis thing as well. As I've told Melissa many times with the UFO experiences, uh, and I've read a lot of them and they're interesting, um, that uh, um, I'll believe it, uh, I'll see it when I believe it. Right. That, that's my current, <laughs> current approach to that is... <laughs> I have to see it before I'll believe it. Well, that's that's the smartest thing to do. So what what do you do with Melissa's stories when she tells you she's seen UFOs and that sort of stuff? Well, she and I discuss those events, and uh, I listen to them because they're interesting. And I remain skeptical, and Melissa knows that I remain skeptical. And uh, it would be, I think, extremely interesting if we did have, have some, uh, well, authentic... Uh, uh, evidence, uh, a couple of guys marching up the street in funny suits or something like that, you know. <laughs> well, that can be arranged. I do live in New York, so. Oh. <laughs> 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 All right, so let's, uh, let's cut to the Georgia Guidestones. Now, Melissa, do you want to sort of uh, set up what these are? Oh, my golly. Well, I'm sitting here without much homework in front of me. I know Dad has a little bit of uh, paperwork there. Uh, uh, I will say that, you know, they are uh, modern Stonehenge-like formations made out of granite that uh, is only uh, quarried in uh, this particular area in Georgia. And they were erected about 25 years ago 
uh, per the guidance of a mysterious Mr. Christian. Yeah, and, um, 79? Wow, okay. 1979, yeah. Yeah, amazing. And and for whatever reasons, perhaps the reasons are still unfolding, we seem to have a bit of a personal connection. Um, uh, uh, my father had an adventure, a bit of an adventure around the stones. I've seen them, but my mother and father saw them before I did. And, um, yeah. So there you go. Okay, so let's hear the adventure. Well, uh, Jeremy, uh, Elaine, my wife and I were in Whole Foods a while back. Well, I noticed this is the May issue of Wired. I'd forgotten it was that long ago. Uh, the May issue of Wired magazine, 2009. Uh, for no particular reason, I picked it up there as I was going through the checkout line and uh, opened it to the article about the the, the monument there in Elberton, uh, Georgia. Uh, my God, somebody has discovered those stones and wants to write about them. That, that's terrific. But um, the, what caused uh, my wife and I to visit the stones, uh, we have family in Greenville, South Carolina, and we were there visiting them. And uh, 1980, no, November 1980 to be exact. And uh, I remember that I'd written an article in the Raleigh News and Observer newspaper, Sunday, June 22nd, 1980. Uh, a small article. It was a uh, Atlantic, Atlantic Journal uh, article describing the monuments there in Georgia, in Elberton. And that's that. Okay, no more fuss about it. And, and I thought, my God, that sounds interesting. I'm going to go visit those next time we're down there. So on uh, November 80, we went down there and uh, decided to take a drive to Elberton, and we did, and uh, took photographs. And the most interesting part, though, besides uh, seeing the the, one, the strange monument in a, a farmer's a cow pasture, uh, was driving into the small town of Elberton and asking somebody about the monument. Well, they, they directed us to uh, the president of the bank, uh, the local bank, uh, according to the, Mr. Wyatt Martin, president of the Granite City Bank. Elberton's claim to fame is the granite quarry there. Mm -hmm. So we went to the bank, and um, I asked if we could... Uh, meet Mr. Mr. Martin, and someone said, yes, come on back to his office, and told him, introduced ourselves, and Mr. Martin asked our business. We said, well, we had seen the monument driving into town, and we were curious about it, and somebody directed us to him. Well, he was most gracious. He invited us into his office, closed the door, sat us down, and began to talk about the monument and the mysterious visitor, the Mr. Christian, and... Uh, uh, Mr. Christian had given him drawings uh, how to design and erect the monument, and Mr. Martin showed us uh, some of the drawings he had and uh, discussed the whole thing and and uh, drove us out to the monument to explain it all to us. And he took us to the quarry also to uh, meet uh, Joe Fendley, according to the Wired magazine who was uh, Elberton Granite's 
president, the quarry president. So, uh, you know, we had the complete tour. I thought that was wonderful. And he gave us a, a sheet of, uh, of what was to be carved onto the uh, guide stones, they were called, and in what languages and what the commandments were to be. And uh, he explained, and this wasn't explained in this Wired magazine article that clearly, but uh, Mr. Martin explained to us that he had a difficult time finding people that could translate these commandments into the, uh, the eight languages, Russian, Chinese, Arabic, Hebrew, Hindi, Swahili, Spanish, and English. But he did get some guidance from the University of Georgia. Evidently, he found some professors there that could help him with some of the languages. But he had some problems finding people who could deliver Hindi and Swahili and so on. Well, you can imagine in 1979. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he he, uh, he uh, accomplished uh, the goal and, and his promise to Mr. Christian. He explained that Mr. Christian never really uh, told him uh, where he was from or where he was going. But he did place money in escrow in the bank to complete the project, and uh, he mailed in, uh, I guess, various installments of funds as the project uh, progressed. And uh, he never really uh, talked to him again. He told us that Mr. Christian uh, represented a group of of uh, concerned people. He didn't call them citizens, but... Uh, a group, I think, that uh, wanted this monument to be built uh, in order to provide 20th century guidance uh, to citizens and humanity and so on. It was a grand plan to provide a new set of commandments on how to behave and survive on, on the earth, considering the direction it was heading in and still is, needless to say. Do they give a, any, any sense of a date of, you know, doomsday or something along those lines? Uh, what kind of a date, Jeremy? Uh, doomsday or some sort of a you know. No, there's no, no uh, there's no talk about that. Mr. Martin uh, didn't uh, mention or discuss any uh, serious consequences if we didn't obey the commandments. Uh, there was no doom particularly connected with it. Uh, uh, I believe it, in my opinion, that it was an attempt at. Uh, well, enlightenment more than anything else, of mm -hmm. course, concerned enlightenment. Were were the stones? Um, did did they uh, have any particular alignment to stars or uh, anything anything along those lines, like we see with Egypt? Uh, yes, they have several uh, alignments. Uh, the Wired magazine explains that rather well, and they have some good diagrams in there. Uh, the what is the main stone called? Uh, it it aligns with uh, with the North Star, and um, then there. What are the other alignments? Well, with the solstices, the uh, winter solstice and uh, summer solstice, which would correspond, of course, to Stonehenge. And what there are two or three other important alignments. I've forgotten what they are. But there, there's significant alignments uh, comparable to uh, Stonehenge, and and evidently these alignments uh, are valid today, mm -hmm. and they still work. Yeah, 
Well, what's interesting is, you know, you drive, you know, at least in 1980 when we were there, you drove down the paved country road, small town Georgia, uh, and suddenly you see this monument standing on a high portion of the farmer's uh, cow pasture there. Uh, nothing around it, no trees. There it is, sticking right there in the middle of the cows. Did you find it odd at all that, that they gave you the grand tour, that you were a stranger, and they just said, hey, let's bring you on out there? Well, yes. I thought it was really terrific that Mr. Martin took that time with us. He took several hours with us. And uh, uh, I suppose that, you know, we didn't go in there with the idea of being, hey, what's this nutty thing out there in the cow pasture? We did explain that we had heard about it, and we'd wondered if if anyone else had, and and uh, he was glad to uh, explain it all to us and how it came about. I suspect that he didn't get a lot of visitors or people who were aware it was even there. Elberton is rather out of the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I uh, remember, it? Dad, that yeah. uh, he, he seemed even a bit, from your story, uh, maybe a bit agitated or at least uh, excited about being able to talk about it, almost relieved that he could talk about it with you? Well, agitated isn't the word. After all, he was a bank president, and uh, Mm -hmm. bank presidents aren't supposed to get too agitated. Anyway, um, no, he he was uh, happy to. He was uh, enthusiastic about explaining it, and, uh, Mm. uh, you know, come on, get in the car, we'll go look and see, you know, that sort of thing. He was he was happy to uh, show us what had occurred and how it happened. I didn't realize you went to the quarry as well. That's fantastic, yeah, he, Dad. I didn't yeah, know he that. Took it to the quarry, yeah. Uh, and yeah. the thing that interested me was how was that particular spot of land selected? You know, of all the places in the U.S. or the South or wherever. Uh, evidently, that particular uh, spot of land has some geographical significance. I still don't quite understand what. It's it's higher than most of the land if around there, if not all of it. It's on a bit of an upgrade. Hmm. And that had some significance, according to Mr. Martin and uh, Mr. Christian. Mr. Christian, the mysterious visitor, uh, had... His group evidently had scouted and studied and selected that particular spot of land uh, before they uh, talked to uh, Mr. Martin about erecting the monument. So, did he mention anything it, it, about um, Mr. Christian in, in terms of him? You know, was he uh, human like the rest of us? Was he a weird kind of guy? Like, what what was his demeanor? Uh, he didn't uh, talk about him in, in terms of personality or or anything of that. He just described him as the mysterious visitor, uh, only known as Mr. Christian. Where he came from or where he went, uh, he had no idea, because whatever communications he had with him uh, came from different addresses each time. Hmm. But Mr. Christian would supply the money as needed. It would, I don't know how, by wired or whether he wired the money or whatever, but anyway, he said the money was always on deposit when he needed it to complete the project, and uh, 
And do either of you know offhand what uh, what exactly was were uh, was inscribed? What the commandments were? Of what was inscribed? Yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Martin gave me a printout of what was to be carved on the stones. I noticed this uh, this evening that this is dated seven twenty seventy nine. So that's that's the year that well. We had visited him the following year. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, the capstone on top. Let each let these be guidestones to an age of reason. All right, and that's in Sanskrit. Sanskrit it should be, but this says Sanskrit on each edge of the capstone that's carved in there. All right, uh, then each face is to be carved in a different language. Uh, Russian, Chinese, Arabic, Hebrew, Hindi, Swahili, Spanish, English. Now, here are the uh, the guidestone commandments or rules. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Number two is guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Three, unite humanity with a living new language. Four, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Uh, Six, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Seven is avoid petty laws and useless officials. Eight, they must have been Republicans. Uh, eight, eight is balance personal rights with social duties. Nine, prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. And ten, be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Hmm. And, uh, and they're carved in those various languages on, on each of the stones. How do you feel about uh, what what all of that means, Dad? Well, you can't dispute their their importance and uh, and in a way their profundity. Uh, looking at them right now uh, this evening, uh, they at the time they they seemed unique, but right now <laughs> they seem uh, rather prosaic to me at the moment. Maybe it's because uh, so much is happened politically and otherwise since 1979. Well, let me ask it you, Chuck. So we're not paying enough attention to such uh, to wisdom uh, like uh, what is presented there, are we, Dad? And how do you well, feel about... Well, I don't about, know, Melissa. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think we're perhaps paying more attention to these things than we have uh, uh, many years in the past. Uh uh, more so, so because of all the environmental movements and awareness of uh, uh, global uh, global problems, the climate problems, and so on. Um, I just recalled now when I said that, uh, Jeremy. I used to do a lot of diving in Florida. We're kind of Florida people, and uh, over the years of diving, they're uh, off the coast of Florida and in the Keys and Bahamas and Dry Tortugas and so on. You could see a steady decline 
of reef life. And it was almost entirely because of onshore development, because the development in those years was intense in South Florida. And uh, there was a direct connection between that and the decline of reef life. When I was diving in my 30s, uh, oh, the reefs were, were just loaded with all kinds of fish and coral and, and beautiful things. Uh, but uh, then you, after a few years, you could begin to see uh, dead spots in reefs and, and, and fewer fish and so on. So um, at that time, the environmental uh, problems were not, were not foremost in anybody's mind. Uh, you know, this was after the war, and people had had enough of that, and it was gangbusters to... But you, Dad, you as a, a very aware architect and designer of uh, buildings and homes that were uh, in, in tune with the land, you were aware of how important it was, and still is, of course, to care about the earth, weren't you? And this is what you taught me as a little yes, kid. Yes, that's true, Melissa. I was always, well, I suppose the word is sensitive about that, and uh, uh, I, I don't like that word development that's always been used to identify massive building construction projects. Uh, I don't call that development. I call that building construction or speculation or whatever. And whenever I've had gigs at the North Carolina State um, uh, School of Design dealing with students, uh, one of the things I would say to them is, now you have to remember that whatever you put on this chunk of land or on this site, the site or the land will never be as good as it was before you started to build. I didn't know that. That's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course, that wasn't wasn't entirely fashionable to say that. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, the students would be a little bewildered by that, but that's okay. It makes sense now. Uh, yeah. Jeff, did you have uh, something you wanted to ask? Yeah, in the uh, in the past couple of days that I've been uh, looking these up and kind of researching the. The backstory. The one thing that seems to come up time after time for me with these is that, um, well, more than a few things. Number one is that they are or seem to be in the public's eye or the public's mind to a large degree are associated with things like the Illuminati or the New World Order, things like that. Um, a lot of people talking about uh, – what was I reading something today about the – what was on the very top, which was the age of reason, referring to uh, you know the Thomas Paine uh, school of thought. With uh, well, they claim you know delves very deeply into occultism and that sort of thing. Of course, you know reading things across the net, you never know who it's coming from and from what direction they're approaching this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it says that the Georgia Guidestones are used for occult ceremonies and mystic celebrations to this very day. Apparently, one uh, church leader in the area uh, spoke out very heavily against these, uh, these things being put there or being there at all, and he's recently relocated uh, his entire ministry. Um, and there are actually 
I guess they would be Christian fundamentalists uh, who say the best thing to do with these things is to break them apart and uh, crush them down and use them to build something else. Oh, my uh, God. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, there is um, – uh, I mean, well – I think here recently, or I believe recently, it uh, the monuments had been defaced with spray paint saying uh, essentially "f the new world order." I think when people see something like you know uh, a world court or something like that, they're immediately thinking, "Well, they want one world government" or uh, things like that. How do you feel about that? Knowing that that's that's kind of what this is most closely associated with as far as i've been able to read is that they say that uh rc christian a- again most likely was not his real name or you know it apparently became clear to the men that he was dealing with to get this built that it wasn't his real name um they uh i'm, I'm seeing here Do they make um, a link between rosicrucian and rc christian because that's what immediately well, springs to what, mind what they what most people seem to connect R.C. to as Roman Catholic, which is kind of uh, strange. Uh, R.C. Christian said that he represented a group of men who wanted to offer direction to humanity, but to date, almost two decades decades later, no one knows who R.C. Christian really was or the names of those he represented. So it's it's it's, it's really kind of weird. And there's a picture, actually, if you and if anybody in our audience looks up the Georgia Guidestones online, you can see that they've been defaced, and apparently that defacement is still standing on them to this day. But uh, I, I, I'm at a loss here because I honestly don't know that much about the proclaimed uh, Age of Reason and Thomas Paine and how all of that fits in with this. I don't quite get that. But uh, apparently, due to its occult philosophy, it's, it's very much uh, attracted the negative thoughts of uh, Christian people in the area, apparently. So I'm curious how you how do you feel about that? How do you feel that that um, uh, does that any of that ring a bell to you? As to uh, well, I'd forgotten that that there was some mention in the Wired article about uh, a local maybe fundamentalist or song being upset about this. I didn't know it, that the uh, stones had been defaced. I wasn't aware of that. But I'm not sure exactly how recently that's been, but uh-huh. apparently the the defacement is still on it. Uh, no one they were has spray painted, seen... I believe, right? Yes, yes, spray painted. Yeah, I remember <laughs> concerning the spray painting. I remember when we visited the thing, my wife and I, uh, the cows were rubbing themselves against the mice. <laughs> <laughs> there was a cow hair and clay marks and all the rest on there. But uh, yeah, the name Christian probably would upset some of the people around there as well. The oh, yeah. would erect and what would imagine to be a pagan monument of some kind right well when you were there did you have a did they give a feeling or did you emote a feeling onto them in any particular direction just like you would artwork or any other monument i mean did you think this uh, is evil or did you think this is great or anything well i thought it was marvelous we both did uh my wife elaine yeah we thought it was really wonderful that someone would uh have the uh, the interest and the energy and the means, of course, to uh, insist on having this thing built and located there. Uh, uh, it was surprising because it stood out there all by itself in farming area. You know, uh, it had a kind of mystique, uh, a mystery to it. And uh, it, well, how do you feel, Dad, about uh, 
know, it, it, it states that the planet would uh, be um, healthier with only 500 million people on board. Well, if you want to go down this list of uh, whatever we want to call them, things you, to you do, could have, you could have you could have some serious questions and discussions Checklist. about each one of these. You know, you could probably yeah. spend an evening discussing each one of these with. Uh, Man, maybe skepticism. that's the point, right? Yeah. They're they're open. For, you know, I'm taking that. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, I've taken that 500 million number and thought about it and twisted it around. Thought, my God, 500 million people. Why, uh, you know, way back thousands of years ago, there were more people than that on the planet Earth. So, uh, you know, just the the American continent itself, North American continent, uh, before what do they call it? Before uh, 1491. That's the book. There were several million inhabitants just in the North American continent before the Europeans landed here. So uh, we seem to have had a balance of nature then. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm glad they did. Now, of course, you get on down to these political rules about, oh, what's the one about uh, void petty laws and useless officials? That's well, a good one. <laughs> too late. <laughs> sounds like... <laughs> Man, that's so current that <laughs> you could probably collect a lot of political funds with that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, what was the talk back then about these stones? Did people talk about them in terms of the Cold War and possible nuclear annihilation and that sort of thing? Or you did, mean when we were there? Yeah. I mean, was there any speculation as to what they were in reference to? No. Uh, the people that we were aware of and, and talked to there in Alberton. They seemed to be rather uh, proud that they had this monument in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't detect any negative attitudes about it. Uh, certainly Mr. Martin, a very prominent citizen in the town, he was the leader in the town, and uh, he was the one who started it all. They, they had great respect for him, so I think the town of Elberton probably thought it was a wonderful thing. I don't even know if you'd have an answer to this, but um, I, I just wonder if... Um, since putting up the monument, um, paranormal activity rose in the area. That's a good question, Jeremy. Uh, I'd like to know the answer myself. I wonder, maybe the only paranormal <laughs> activities arose were those who suspected that it was a uh, invention of the devil. Uh, so. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> And, and it seems like there's more uh, uh, upset about them just recently and in this yeah. age of paranoia and, and not 10, you. 15, 20 years ago. And yet Yoko Ono has a, uh, a sort of love for them, doesn't she? Uh -huh. Weren't you telling her yes. that? Is she aware of them? Yoko Ono's fascinated with them. Oh, gee, wonderful. See, the word will get out. Uh, yeah. Then they'll really be defaced. Email her. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, here, here's the thought I got, and and uh, and, and this uh, I got uh, actually after work today uh, on the drive home because I actually studied a little bit about Elbert County, Georgia, uh, where this is. Apparently, that county in Georgia is known as the granite capital of the world. Yes. And uh, there is more of this stone there than anywhere else. And I got to thinking, 
and and you would be a great person to ask since you were there. Was the town you mentioned before that you didn't think that the bank uh, owner manager was very busy at the time and that he probably didn't have very much to do? Was there very much to do anywhere in that area of town? Was it a bustling little town or was it kind of devoid of anything? It it was uh, seemed to be uh, you know your usual prosperous small southern town. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, they were proud of being the granite capital, I recall that. Right. Yeah. And, of course, another thing they mentioned, uh, many years ago a movie came out about bicycle racing, and it was centered around uh, uh, Bloomington, Indiana. I've forgotten the name of the movie or who the movie stars were. Mm-hmm. And it had to do with the townies uh, whose parents were, or whose fathers were quarry workers. Mm-hmm. Breaking and, Away, Dad. Breaking Away, that's the name of the movie. Well, anyway, some of that movie had been filmed there in Elberton at the quarry. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they were proud of that. Yeah. They had been on the movie, yeah. I just have to wonder, uh, I have to wonder if the the idea of somebody, some mysterious someone coming in and, and uh, uh, I mean, obviously this thing could not have been cheap even back in those days. To construct uh, not only the granite, but to have somebody sandblast those those letters into it or carve them out, however they were done. But the idea of having this stranger come through town and erect this monument and have all of these uh, astronomical alignments and, like you said, the center stone has the hole cut through it where you can see the North Star and all of that, which ends at that you know gives it that little bit of mystique to it. And then, honestly, I mean, I, I'm not particularly uh, religious-based guy, but I don't see anything in the in the 10, uh, the grocery list here that, that really particularly offends me, um, other than the 500 million thing is a little bit, <laughs> what happens to the rest of us? Um, but uh, I have to wonder, and this just occurred to me on the way home, is, is could this be some kind of thing that the people of this town secretly got together and made in order to cause a little bit of, of a news story and actually have something that people would come to town to see. Because I, I, I would think a bank manager would be all too glad to show you this, considering he may have been one of the people who was involved in building it. And then number two, if, if he wants to really popularize this whole thing uh, for word to get out, he would take you around. He would take hours out of his day to take you around and show you these things and take you to the quarry and all of that because, hey, more people come to town, more people spend money in the stores, more stores are banking more money, on and on and on. I don't know. I just kind of got to wonder about things like that. That uh, Did you get a sense yeah. that he was acting? Well, uh, no, I didn't, Jeremy. Um, and uh, your idea about it being uh, a tourist attraction for a small town – you know, it would require a great deal of imagination. Oh yeah, uh, to uh, come up with an idea like this just to attract a few tourists. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, by the way, the Ty Cobb's hometown is just a few miles up the road from mm-hmm. Royston. So I suppose they're used to having at least a celebrity around there. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway, it would take them. Who could imagine a thing like that? <laughs> Certainly not me. I'd have done it by now. <laughs> <laughs> and it would require a lot of expertise to put the thing together, too. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah, it's great that the people know about it. Now I'm concerned about it. You know, it's survival. Hmm. It's important or interesting anyway to speak to synchronicity and how so many of us are drawn to these monuments, uh, and 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 many people even seem to have contact experience with otherworldly beings, and the 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 fact that the banker gave Dad a piece of the paperwork, mm. uh, and all of the paperwork was uh, to be hidden away for good. And here, Dad is the only one that, that has a piece other than the banker. And here I am today, and I know Jeremy and Jeff, and we're all connecting and, uh, you know, uh, having interesting experiences and wondering about the world and all of us and, you know, wanting to uh, to uh, wake up and, uh, you know, um, take care of the joint, man. You know, I mean, we've got to take care of the planet. We've got to... That's right. We've got to uh, evolve. And um, perhaps there's a web of energy working with all of us. And we're all connecting through uh, yeah. the monuments and many, many other kinds of experiences. I don't know. Well, you know, Melissa, uh, once you go through the door uh, and have uh, the awakening, I'll call it, uh, a door slams. You can't go back. And that isn't <laughs> entirely a comfortable feeling, is it? Right, Dad. <laughs> uh, and uh, sometimes you feel like if I could only go back through the door and not be aware of so many things, uh, it would yeah. certainly be more comfortable in your life. But it is an awakening. And... Uh, well, let me ask you just a couple more um, sort of mundane questions about this. Um, yeah. One being, what was the conversation like when he actually gave you the blueprints? How did it come about that he would give a stranger blueprints? Well, they weren't blueprints, Jeremy. They were. They seemed to be drawings, as I recall. It's been a while. I think they were drawings. And they were on white paper, whether it was tracing paper or, or something else. I don't remember. And I do remember that uh, I think they were rolled up. He had them in his desk or in his uh, cabinet there in his office. And, you know, he just casually brought them out and showed us some of the sketches, not not all of the details, but uh, some of the sketches for what Mr. Christian wanted. And uh, he did it casually, uh, uh, showing them to interested people who weren't mocking, mocking the project or anything. He was glad to show it to us, and uh, of course, we were glad to see them, and he put them back, and that was that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm sure he had he had more drawings somewhere. He had would had to have drawings for the quarry people. Uh, and do you know whose land it's on? Does the farmer talk about? Oh, uh, Mr. Martin told us about the farmer. He was a friend of Mr. Martin's, of course, and uh, he was convinced to... Uh, provide a chunk of land for the monument. Uh, it's right near the edge of his cow pasture because there was a cattle grate there, a cattle guard, so the cows couldn't get out. You had to drive up a, a little dirt road to the monument on the hilltop. Mm-hmm. But he said the farmer was glad to provide land for it. Hmm. I don't think he would have 
done it uh, if he had been uh, if he had seen the work of the devil in the thing. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, and then I, I guess just you know we had a geologist on um, because we we were talking about uh, you know is it true that there's more paranormal or ghostly type activity um, in places where there's limestone or granite. Uh, and we were trying to ferret that out by asking a geologist. Uh, so now that I've got an architect <laughs> on the horn, uh, I guess I kind of need to ask you, um, as an architect, do do you see any rhyme or reason to why certain monuments provoke uh, either paranormal activity or or thoughts of occultism or any of that sort of stuff? What is it about the actual art of a building or a monument that, that does that? Do you have any sort of just insight into that? Well, uh, without getting into too much detail, are you aware of the way of building according to the lay lay lines in Europe? And well, even in in China, they weren't called lay lines. And of course, the Japanese always considered uh, certain sites more uh, more opportune than others, or more satisfactory for construction. Chinese have historically, and of course, the cathedrals of Europe were built. At uh, power points, at least they believe they were power points. So this is that's always been around to do prominent structures or spiritual structures on uh, power points or ley lines or presumably lines of magnetic uh, significance. Now, as an architect, uh, I don't have any any uh, supernatural view of that when I would do a building. Uh, Orientation, of course, is always important, and you want to know what's in the ground when you're building. Other than the normal geophysical problems of construction, no, I, I don't see any particular spiritual significance. I do recall that uh, limestone is uh, important for for purifying water. Uh, I, I believe it uh, used to be called the mother because uh, the deep underground water would have to flow through uh, deep underground limestone, and that was a way of purifying the water. And, and wherever it would surface, you know, we use for human consumption, be potable. Hmm. So it has that significance, and I suppose we've ruined some of that limestone base that we have in Florida. Mm-hmm. Well, and let me just ask you, you, you just said to Melissa that... Um you know, once you open the door, sometimes you kind of wish you hadn't. What, where, what would you say the door is for you that you, you've opened that you sometimes wish you hadn't? For me, it occurred with an architectural project. Uh, I've been searching for a particular special solution for this architectural project. And I knew that what I was doing, I was dancing around the solution, and it wasn't right. And then after um, a night of intense concentration on the design project, the door opened, and it it was clear suddenly what the solution to the architectural project was. Now, that that doesn't sound particularly interesting, but it's opening the door suddenly clarified to me where any architectural design should go in order to be suitable on the land. And then and before that, you know, you put it down wherever you could and did the best you could and hoped it came out right. But uh, that sudden clarification uh, 
was the door opening for me, uh, knowing what was the right thing to do. That didn't so mean that, that you're always... That? Hmm? Which project what? was that? That was Peggy's house, he just came. But um, okay. that didn't mean you could always do it from then on, but at least you knew what was right from then on. That That made things more difficult, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you have to be precise. <laughs> yeah, you had to be troubled by it if you didn't get it right. Yeah. Could it be? It's like taking on extra responsibility in life that you you you, you got to honor. <laughs> it, it's like standing under a, a a great tree somewhere and looking up toward the upper branches of the tree and sensing that. There is a veil there that that there's something beyond that veil. If only you could see it, and but knowing it's there, that's what it's about. You know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you've probably experienced it in a situation uh, out somewhere in the Grand Canyon or wherever. You know, the veil is there, and maybe uh, the guys who put together this monument. Uh, knew that. We're trying to get us uh, all to uh, sense the veil and understand there was something beyond the veil. Mm -hmm. Thank you for yes. helping me look through the veil. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it. It was grand talking to all of you, Jeremy and Jeff. Liz. You too, sir. Yeah, thank you yeah. very much. Hi, this is Philippe Moore, and I am vacationing at Paratopia. Esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. Melissa, anything new in there? Oh my gosh, I'm I'm just I'm I'm um, overcome with gratefulness for um, hearing his words tonight and you facilitating that, Jeremy. You know, we go through our lives seeing our parents in a particular way, don't we? <laughs> and perhaps it's difficult face the things that uh, are troubling for us and our parents, mm -hmm. and ironically, it's difficult to face the things that are wonderful in our parents, too. And so I got another glimpse of how cool Dad is tonight, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's great, yeah. I'm glad we had a special father-daughter bonding moment here on Paratopia. <laughs> yeah, but you it's know. Family night on Paratopia. But yeah, it's, it's, this, it's this weaving we're all part of. We're all at this big loom. Well, this is, this is what I want to ask you. I mean, how, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I guess if, if I were to just say, 
uh, oh, he might have had some sort of contact experience plus this weird Georgia Guidestone thing. I might not find that to be anything more than coincidence, but the way that it came to me, I think, was like somebody had mentioned the Georgia Guidestones and I took an interest in it, and then I asked you about it, and then you were like, do I know about the Georgia Guidestones? My God, my dad was the, you know... And, like, to all, seeing it at that angle, it looked like like a giant, uh, that can't really be a coincidence, can it? You know what I mean? Oh. Uh, I mean, how how much stuff are we all linked to? Well, yeah, I mean, please. I mean, we've got to, first of all, we've got to eradicate the word coincidence from every kind of perspective we take these days, you know, I mean. It's a waste of energy, I think, at this point to say, hmm, you know, maybe this means nothing, or maybe it does mean something, you know. There's an intelligence, layer upon layer of energies and an infinite intelligence at work. I think that's what I sense sometimes. You know, it respects our so-called free will, the energies at work, but uh, I think there is a little coaxing and prodding going on here and there, you know, and it's more and more intense as the planet is in worse and worse shape. And, um, you know, I think everybody's on board. I mean, beings and energies from other worlds and other uh, realities and all the rest of it, uh, like I've said, you know, it's like the Earth show is the biggest show in the solar system these days, or the galaxy, rather, or who knows what, the universe. And um, there are thoughts and energies or and, and, and writings that have come my way, synchronistically, that resonate deep down in my spirit that speak of how everything is interconnected. And so whatever, you know we do here affects the rest of existence. And so, you know, <laughs> there are energies that are concerned about the um, terrible things that we're doing on the planet, you know? Well, what do you make of your dad um, thinking that, that, that what is actually uh, malevolent intelligence that contacts? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, and I caught that, <laughs> and I don't remember him ever saying that. Well, my first reaction is to say Dad is very cool in that, you know, I mean, he is one cool cookie in, you know, uh, difficult situations. Heck, he just returned from World War II, the Philippines, you know, he was 19, you know, and, and running things, you know, or whatever the heck he did. Uh, you know, he did it with a, as a, as in a, a leadership capacity there, and so he, I think he was taking in the experience in you know a very non-attached way. But that said, you know, at, at this point on my journey through life and uh, otherworldly experiences, uh, I think I sure as heck know that the, the moment. I decide a thing, an experience, is a particular kind of energy, then it shifts yet again, you know? 
the uh, it's <laughs> shades of gray. You know, we we can't. There's just infinite possibility in 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 uh, every experience. This, I'm not going to draw conclusions anymore. And that's a whole different perspective from being naive or experiencing, you know, through rose-colored glasses. It's, it's a very different thing. It's, it's, I think there's clarity in that. You are a clear glass <laughs> letting the water move through you. Huh? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff? Well, just as far as uh, as far as Chuck's experiences, so I just want to make note that the man had just returned from a highly stressful experience and was in a, uh, a highly transitional state. Correct? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Um, in case anybody hears dogs barking, there are dogs barking. So, <laughs> run, Toto, run. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 experience. I I, I don't. I mean, again, you can you can look at that experience and say that he felt that if he were to take this being, whoever it was, up on its offer, that he would have to die to do it. Um, yes. And that kind of goes to what um, uh, Jeremy and I were talking about off air. What last show was it, Jeremy? I I uh, I, I just um, I was kind of relating to him that I I become. I guess I'm a product of ufology because uh, for so many years, I, I, don't, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out that anything that you say in ufology can get picked apart six ways from Sunday. So you have to be extremely careful with what you say and careful what direction you want to go in with this stuff. And um, so I'm just going to throw this out there and, and whatever anybody thinks is what they can think. But you know, Melissa, as far as like all of these questions, like what we talked about when we were talking at the X conference and and tonight, I mean, I get the I, I get the distinct impression that just like what your dad said is is really kind of important because it's that synchronicity for me uh, in that I do think that a lot of these things that we're not going to know until the last heartbeat clicks off and uh and we're no longer here i i just i think that is going to be the time where everything is all of a sudden going to make sense which of course falls in line with every sort of religion that we've ever been exposed to you know all answers will be revealed and all of that i mean do you get the sense of this that uh you know you can understand it maybe how it works a little bit or maybe you can get those shades of gray we're talking about but really that the the full the full spectrum of what you're seeing and what you're experiencing, is it really going to be that visible as long as you're breathing? I, I think that's a fantastic statement or perspective that you're making there and, and that <laughs> so there won't be any answers until after we're done breathing. I mean, that, I think that's also a beautiful statement, and I think it, it speaks to a bit of how I, I feel or what I sense at this point and that that we're, we're simply never finished right. and uh, well there's a word that just keeps kind of going through my head here okay when you mentioned that dad felt that he might have to die mm-hmm. to go with this energy 
and that word is annihilation. Mm-hmm. It's a very scary prospect to any human being, the idea of annihilation. Sure. Um, annihilation of the, the personality of the day-to-day awareness, certainly mm-hmm. annihilation of the body, etc. Mm-hmm. Ego. But perhaps, yeah, in, in a Buddhist sense or an enlightened sense, if you will, or, or a shamanic sense, annihilation of our definitions of self, even definitions of what life and death are. Right. Um, it, it, we, we must release that. It's 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 the profoundest the, the essence of what fear is, mm-hmm. and and as long as there is the residue of fear, we are we are simply limited. Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, until we until we know something, I think I think we're I, I mean I think we're hardwired to fear what we don't know. Yeah. Which, 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 you know, if, 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 I mean, you say about, you know, letting go of that kind of fear, well, my, the first thing that popped into my head is, okay, well, if I let go of that fear, what, what, what am I holding on to then? <laughs> you know, nothing. Um, but yeah, nothing. N- nothing. <laughs> but, but, you see, but then, and then so mind must be let go of. Mm-hmm. Castaneda's Don Juan said, everyone. At some point, maybe not even in this lifetime, maybe not for many lifetimes, must drop their history. Mm. What does that mean? My God, that's a loaded statement. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I, it, it, that is scary as heck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Forget everything you know because you don't know anything anyway. Um, yeah, right. I yeah, mean, but, that's. But, but, I, think, I think the deeper thing that, that we're trying to find words for, uh, let's just throw the scientific spin on it for a second, which is non locality. I think that's what we're talking about. When you die, you become, let's say, you become non local, which means you're everywhere and, you know, nowhere all at the same time. And so you are, <laughs> there's no differentiation between you and the information you're receiving. Uh, not unlike what we experienced with the mushroom trip, it's like you are the vision. Um, and I think that's what meditation gets at. It's it's all about clearing away the self and clearing away the locality of you, clearing away the thought process that is of the brain, that is local, uh, so that non-local, universal, whatever word you want to use, um, energy <laughs> informs you. And, you know, I, I've certainly, not just the shroom trip, obviously, but also the, uh, the big I am experience, I definitely... Um, you know, experienced multiple perspectives all happening at the same time using this brain. So I know that it's not completely impossible to experience something that broad and deep uh, with the brain. I don't have to physically die for that. I do have to mentally die to that. You know, I, I have to not exist in the foreground in order for that experience to be able to present itself. So I think that sort of what the Buddhists and the, the meditators and all that are getting at uh, with meditation. It's a getting rid of locality so that you're, you're presented with the non-local state in your brain. So, uh, you know, all of that said, I, I guess I'm not one who really believes that you have to die uh, physically to get the whole thing. I think, um, well, as you, as you know, I mean, I, I almost feel like I'm, I'm just repeating myself because hell, I wrote a book about it. I mean, I really think that it's, uh, there are beings who don't have that conscious subconscious divide. They, they, are essentially non-local. 
Mm. Um, and they're urging us to become that because we can. And therefore, it's in everyone's best interest that we do, you know. Do you, well, do you think – that's what I was going to ask is do you think there's dire consequence if we don't? I think there's – well, I think there is dire consequence, but I don't think it's at their – I don't think there's any doomsday scenario that, that anyone else is doing. I think the 500 million thing bodies – um, you know, I don't know what the number would be, but you, certainly the planet can't sustain this many people uh, right. and growing for long, uh, especially with all of our horrible local agendas. Um, so I think we're going to do ourselves in, um, which ultimately I think ends up being sort of a teardrop in the, the eye of eternity that, that unfortunately doesn't have to be there, you know. Uh, but but do I honestly think that, that aliens or God or, uh, you know, angels or, or any, any sort of thing that we um, make archetypal and uh, compassionate to us in our beady little brains, do I really think that they care beyond the sorrow of losing a species? No, because ultimately, I think um, everything, you know, on this other greater level, everything is as it's supposed to be. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which almost sounds like a cop-out, but... But it's uh, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, it's like this. It's like this. If you had everything just constantly going, if you had no death, and you just like uh, you know we we're we're on this hunt to like create immortal humanity, or if barring that, inject ourselves into computers and live on that way. It's like if you have that, if you just have things, there's no room to breathe. There's no room. Period. There's just this giant thing that that might as well be dead. I mean, you need death. You oh. kind of need that cycle. So I think there's that understanding. I think you need that cycle for the bodies, but I, I and but I, I think like if somebody were to reach that state, or a bunch of people where uh, they are on par with the so-called alien mentally, that you would only need one person to do that, or two people, or a handful of people, you know, whatever it is, you would just need enough for the species to survive. And then I think once you're in that state, the thing that you realize is that the personal the individual, the thing that we hold dear to us and think is special, isn't real. That's the thing that you have to get rid of to see all of this. And if it's not real, if it's not really special and individual, then, you know, I know this sounds fucking awful, but it doesn't actually matter that a billion people died off because that's a billion bodies who never understood what they were supposed to be. They were a completely unfulfilled bunch of bodies at that point. Is that nihilist? You got it. No, because I think there's, there's plenty of room for compassion in all of that. I mean... But the word compassion, I think, needs to be redefined. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's not compassion the way you think. It's not like, you know, baby Jesus right. smiles down on you and is no, really no, no, sad no. and wants you to become a you know, no. God warrior or something. Yeah, it's not a Hallmark card. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, yeah. let me ask no. you this. Okay, these non-local beings are trying to get us to do what they do. Okay. If when we die, we get to that state anyway, then what's the hurry? <laughs> but I don't think we necessarily get to that state anyway, Jeff. It, 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 you know, all of us. Mm. I think you carry awareness or, or or some capacity of awareness, you know, into the next state. And if you have limited awareness, I think you carry that with you. Mm-hmm. That's what resonates to me. Well, I, I guess I would I would answer that by saying that what you're what you're essentially doing is bringing universal or quote unquote God whatever word you want to use non local 
self-awareness into the physical plane, into materiality. Okay. So when the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Christian mystics, you know, all talk about the oneness experience where, and you've had this too, where you, you sort of identify with the world or with another person and you feel as though there's no difference, you know, that veil falls and, and you are all one, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, you, you, in doing that, you get that physically, uh, we are all quote unquote God. We are all God imagining or, or however you want to word that, uh, the universal, we're all that physically. We're already that, but but mentally, how we shine in this dark place is not through God self awareness, in spite of God self body. Um, and so I think that, God damn it, do I sound like a cultist? <laughs> and so I think that, uh, yeah, that that's ultimately what you're doing. You're replacing self awareness with quote unquote God self awareness, um, and that's what's you know why is that important? Well, because I think that the more of that there is, uh, the healthier God body is. You know, I mean, ultimately Jeremy, we're we're cancer right now, right? <laughs> I've spent I've spent over a decade trying to get myself to be completely at peace and aware of oneness since my husband died of cancer and I have been trying to know without needing to try. (laughs) Trying to get to the point where I'm not trying anymore to know there's no such thing as death. And I, I know it. I do know it. And this has been part of the, uh, you know, the uh, the gift through the loss of Steve. And yet, and yet, right? And yet, we still come back to the daily self. Mm-hmm. And we feel aloneness. But can we finally get beyond even that? The beings and other awarenesses and other planes of existence, they don't struggle with that. I, I sense, <laughs> and and there are, I mean, I've had my own experiences with incredible beings <coughs> and post-loss that there is no such thing as death, and then I think about some of the experiences that Whitley Strieber has written about when he went through death and uh, of a friend and Michael Talbot, and uh, who wrote the, the Holographic Universe, and, and how the beings helped him see that, you know, there was just no such thing as death. And uh, anyway, <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, all of that said, I, I I still don't want to romanticize it for the simple fact that we don't know what problems happen at that next stage. <laughs> right. You know, right. I'm sure it could be a whole new set. <laughs> a whole new set. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 and, 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 Does any of this ring true to you, or you, mean, do you, think you like, the... or are you thinking, like, I should never have co-hosted this show with Jeremy? <laughs> no, uh, I, I understand so what you're you saying. If you get to oneness, then there's mm-hmm. a whole new set of, uh, 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 issues you have to deal with, huh? Oh, sure, I, yeah, oh, yeah. doing oneness now, <laughs> so now I've got a whole, you know, a whole new homework assignment, huh? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeremy, it, it does, it does to a point, but I have, uh, I mean, like I've told you before, I think that the entire the entire thing with me 
and 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 the paranormal in general. Let's just kind of couch it in that. Uh, I think is all, uh, and I mean, and I've, I've had this said directly to me by these things or or people or whatever you want to call them. Uh, let go, you know, that kind of thing. And I've told this audience before. I've told you before. Uh, I've told Melissa. I'm, you know, I am a control freak. Uh, not so much in the sense of my things or my house or my car, but more in the sense of self control. Knowing where I am, uh, trying to be rooted in in uh, reality and uh, and all of that, which is why something like the mushroom was such a terrifying thing to me because it is a complete surrender to something else. I get that. I get I get that whole sense of needing to let go of yourself and let go of ego and and, uh, and the the self, as you say. The problem is, I feel like when we start talking about that kind of stuff i think we're talking like like somebody just dumped out all the rice on the floor and we're only picking up one kernel and like studying the hell out of it i think that's that's probably a good primer i think that it's probably a whole lot more complicated than that than that scenario lays out i think that the if if these beings let's just look at that for a second if these beings are trying to get us to wake up to a greater reality great i i mean i've certainly had that thrown in my face enough times to get it letting go and being that in that non-local state that you were talking about i can kind of see that but like melissa just said i I don't believe there's death in the sense of what we think of as you know your worm food i i I think we are made of energy that's a given i think energy you know as they say can't be destroyed it only moves through form in form out of form uh changes that kind of stuff if if we're going to have some sort of enlightenment, of course, when when your heart shuts down, my question is, you know, to, to these beings, what's the big hurry? Number two, if uh, being in a non-local state means that really physical reality doesn't really mean that much. So why the big dog and pony show? I'm always going to go back to that. <laughs> why the big dog and pony show? Well, I would just throw this word of caution uh, out there about this having to be completely complex, which is that we have had, you know, just in terms of, quote-unquote, enlightenment, thousands and thousands of years since the dawn of man, instruction from various religions and occult belief systems and uh, self-help gurus in how to achieve this, and very few people do. There are all these rules and regulations and gods and demigods and all that down the line. All these stories and everything that you're supposed to live by, keep a healthy diet, all that stuff. Right. And all of that, I have the first-hand experience of telling you, is completely bullshit. <laughs> and it's all after-the-fact stuff that is being presented as the way. It's uh-huh. not the way. It's stuff that you discover after it's happened. And the only thing that has to happen is completely getting it. I mean, and that's it. You know what I mean? And it sounds like nothing, but obviously it's a huge deal. But it's the thing, it's the answer that's right there under your nose. And so I wonder how many of these other things are not the answer that's right under our nose. And I was telling Melissa, and I'm sure you you saw this, somebody had posted the YouTube video of uh, two sets of basketball players, one dressed in white and one dressed in black, uh, shooting around basketballs. They posted this on our forum. And you're supposed to follow around the team uh, passing around the white ball with your eyes and count how many times they pass it. And at the end of the video, it says uh, 13 is is the answer to that. But now, did you notice the moonwalking bear? <laughs> and I, what? Right. And then it rewinds the thing, 
And sure enough, a bear comes into the middle, not somewhere hidden in the background, comes into the middle of these players and starts dancing around and moonwalks off. And you never see it because you're not looking for it. And I feel like that is probably the most instructive YouTube video you will ever see. Yeah. On the paranormal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you're probably right. It probably is right underneath our nose. But I, I, I think once you get into that uh, realization, don't you, being someone who's had this God experience and, and uh, uh, has let go and has uh, experienced that greater sense of everything, do you not find life a little more complicated? Uh, no. You find it a lot more simple. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I find, um, a lot more simple. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly there's a lot less attachment and therefore a lot less depression, uh, -huh. uh and things like that on, on, on some level. And then on another level, you know, it gets to me every now and then, but it's not because it's complicated. It gets to me because it, it's so clear to me. It's so evident to me that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, forget aliens and God or any of that stuff. I mean, Right. Just looking around, and I'm sure you feel this, not having had that experience of just looking around and being like, wow, really? <laughs> this, is, this is it? This is what modern society has has given us? Uh, so I feel like that is a lot stronger, you know, when when I think about that stuff. But um, no, I mean, nothing is, is overly complicated. In fact, it all seems like, much like the religion analogy, it all seems... Um, it seems like an overly complicated uh, bunch of nothing. Mm. You know, it's just stuff that we keep inventing in our heads, rules and regulations and whatnots, um, to keep avoiding this stuff. Mm. I mean, it all starts to look I think like we that. Took to that me the lap, right? After a while, you have to laugh. And, you know, it's interesting. Here's something interesting too. Somebody uh, on our forum wrote to me. Uh, privately, and I guess I'll answer it now because I don't feel like typing. Uh, saying, you know, practitioner to practitioner, which I'm not. But have you had any problems being so open and public about, you know, all of this meditation stuff? Because I guess uh, she, I think it's a she, maybe it's a he, um, does meditate in, a, you know, in some sort of a group setting and, uh, you know, sort of monkish people uh, are all very secretive about what they do and, and blah, blah, blah. And that's sort of been the tradition is like you're supposed to not tell certain things or there's like an initiatory level to these things in a hierarchy after that and blah, blah, blah. And so are there any repercussions essentially to me just blabbing out the good stuff? And, um, and I, I kind of feel like, what is it the Hopi Melissa who say that this is the time of no secrets? I mean, I feel like it is the time, a, it's the time of no secrets. You know, it's like, what are we They're holding on to? And what are we holding on to at this point in history? Uh, if there ain't going to be much history left. Um, but the other thing is, what good is it? Like, you know, you're talking about complicating things. I think if you have something that is authentically a path to something better and you keep that to yourself um, or you hoard it to yourself, uh, even in the name of, of the good, um, what good are you actually doing? So well, yeah, no, I, I feel like we're the, the ones good. complicating stuff. I don't feel like things are actually complicated. The good you're hoarding. You can, you can take a knife right to that and cut right through it and see that, that in fact, no, that this is really simple. Well, yeah, and I mean, and if you're hoarding good stuff, it's just ain't good anymore. If you're hoarding it, it's it it becomes other than the good stuff. And if because, any of the Hindu gods have a problem with that, they, they know where to reach. Me. Good, 
good stuff is meant to be shared. Uh, well, that's yeah, what, I mean, to it, me, it's, it's like, it's like Whitley Strieber. Whitley Strieber said he doesn't want to cast pearls before swine because it bit him in the ass, essentially. And I say uh, that we're all swine. And so, yeah, of course swine is going to bite you, but so what? Who gives a shit? You know? I, mean, I think Whitley whines a lot. <laughs> she said that. I didn't. Did I say that? <laughs> I love you. I love Whitley. So there's that. Rant over. Hmm. Hey, Georgia Guidestones, everybody. <laughs> cool. Melissa Reed, everybody. Thanks, Melissa Reed. <laughs> thanks, love for, you, uh, thanks for coming on and doing this. Yes, okay. thanks very much. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 You're listening to Paratopia on UPRN 105.3 UPR. I already said that. New Orleans. I think maybe. It's possible you're not. We've been through this. Barkeep, another round for the ladies. That was a, a whirlwind. That was all over the place. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Any regrets? Well. <laughs> um, it's eleven, eleven. By the way, and how do I know? Because I just looked at the clock, and the clock is always doing that when I look at it. Um, I've got eleven twelve, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> well, as far as, far as the uh, Georgia Guidestones. If I had to reduce it and say what what's that all about, I would have to say a little bit of controversy, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of stranger walking into town and erecting a monument that cost you know a lot of money, and um, it's a good mystery, right? So, what draws a crowd but a good mystery? I mean, I tend to think it probably uh, it, it might have had something to do with. Uh, the town trying to generate some publicity or to generate some visitors. I mean, who, who knows? I mean, um, if not, then, uh, you know, let's just say, for instance, this was some kind of uh, Illuminati thing. What, what's the purpose in that? For what? Apparently nobody goes to it except visitors to the area. Well, I guess it would be if there's uh, some sort of giant disaster, a flood or something, that these things would survive. They'd be above sea level just in the right place, blah, blah, blah. And so Caveman, with his amnesia, would look at them and be like, that's what we need to do. Yeah, I guess that, I guess that makes sense that a separate, evolved human being would know how to read. <laughs> 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 Fucking break. Uh, you know, I, I just, I think it's bizarre. I think it's an interesting story. Uh, I, I think that, you know, some of what is on it is... Uh, is Probably pretty sage advice, but I, I certainly don't. I don't get the whole thing. Like, uh, there's an activist out there. His name's Mark Dice, Christian conservative political activist guy, and he's demanded that the the, the guidestones. He's the guy who said the, they should be smashed into a million pieces and then the rubble used for a construction project. He also claimed that they they were of a deep satanic origin, and that uh, R.C. Christian belongs to a Luciferian a secret society related to the New World Order. <sighs> I mean, anybody got a Marlboro? Because I'm feeling a little like Dale Gribble whenever I start reciting stuff like that. I think the controversy of that alone, I think the fact that it's, you know, like the American Stonehenge, I think it's, I mean, I, I mean, for the structure itself, it's an interesting look. Go see it for that. 
but I, I honestly don't see anything, you know, satanic about it. I certainly don't see anything. Uh, it's weird. I mean, it's weird. And who's to say that uh, R.C. Christian wasn't just uh, an artist who decided to have a little fun with everybody? You know, I mean, it happens. I've done it. You know, I've done um, installations that uh, nobody knew about that I did with my friends back in college and nobody could figure out what the hell it was all about. And I just sat back and watched some of the hysterical, uh, you know, uh, premises that people put forward as to what they thought it was or what it meant. So it could be as simple as something like that. It's not that they're not interesting, but I think people are reading a whole lot more into them than, than, than I would care to. So, um, what about you, Jeremy? Um, I, I I think it was that Wired interview where they interviewed the uh, maybe it was the banker, but the 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 guy who knows who knew Christian and knew what uh-huh. what they were supposed to be, and he had said, you know, sometimes I read on the internet, uh, you know, I'll hear these stories, read these stories about what people say they think it is, and and I, I want to speak up because I want to clear the air about it, but um, but then you know I swore that I wouldn't, and um. A statement like that, in the way that it was worded, sounds more like, yeah, there's not really that much to this. <laughs> you, you know, because if there were, um, like, say the, he knew the world was going to end, like, now, um, wouldn't you speak up about that or something? Or if that... I well, don't I don't know. know. It's only supposed to be 500 million of us. <laughs> yeah. Keep that on the down low. I don't know, you know, but he made it, I don't know, it just sounded to me, the way he worded it, it sounded like it was, um, like, everyone's pretty much just wrong in that. Um, it did sound more like a giant art project or a giant just curiosity, you know, getting right. getting people curious and getting them imagining and that sort of stuff. Well, I'll tell you the one thing that did interest me is that somewhere uh, on that site, um, I think that there is a, a tablet that's actually flat down on, on the earth, on the ground. And uh, there's a spot in it that, that either it looks like or it has been said that there is a time capsule in it. Now that I would like to see. Some people say it's in there. Some people say it was made for that, but the time capsule was never buried. I don't know. I say if there's one in there, crack that puppy open and let's find out what's in it. Because in it may be a letter from RC saying, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> so, well, And then the other thing is, you know, if there were some secret society that, that produced this, who knows what their concerns were? Were their concerns a prophecy, a prediction? The Cold War, you know, I'm, I'm sure they didn't foresee global warming in the way that we're experiencing it now. Uh, you know, maybe they were. Who knows? I mean, that would be that that to me would be amazing if, if they were. We don't know. We, we just don't know what all their concerns were. So, you know, I, I guess I take it at, at face value and appreciate it for what it is doing, which is making people wonder and imagine, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I which think what that great art does, you know, I think that's the point. So, um, I mean, whether or not it was conceived by an artist or a collective of people in town, you know, as a, as a, as a, a tourist thing, regardless of all of that, it certainly gets you to thinking. So, uh, and, and I'll tell you what, uh, looking at some of the YouTube videos of it with people actually walking around it, it's big. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was no small feat to engineer and put something like that together. So, um, I wouldn't mind going there and checking it out. Yeah. Good trip. Yeah, woo! So when I go off on my little um, pseudo-spiritual tangents, um, am, am I the only one embarrassed by that, or does that bother you? 
I need to know these yeah. things. Well, it doesn't bother me. I don't get, I get any of it. I'm very insecure about them. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't get any of it, but I, I, you know, I certainly don't know. And you said that when you were doing the, uh, the brainwave thing at the X conference, you got hooked up and, and did your thing, and you said you were embarrassed. I don't see anything to be embarrassed about. Um, I mean, you're certainly not embarrassed to talk about a UFO sighting. Why would this be any more, you know, because it's it's a deeper level? Yeah, because uh, this is claiming to know something about something. <laughs> you know, whereas UFO well, sightings like, I saw this thing, and I don't uh, know what it was. And now I'm I, saying, I know stuff about shit that you don't. Right, well... Uh, I think I think that you do know certain things about uh, uh, about that area that I don't, or that many people don't. I'm not sure. I'm not. Ex- I'll put it to you this way: I don't know exactly what those experiences and what that mindset is. I don't understand it. I don't. And, and the other day, <laughs> and I have to admit this to you, and I'll say it on the show. I was thinking about some of the stuff you say, and I'm sitting there going, "Yeah, I just I don't I don't know what he's talking about. I don't get it." I don't get it. And sometimes I think that you I think that you say things that deliberately force someone to say, "Yeah, I don't get it," just so they can say, "I don't get it." And then they get it. <laughs> it's kind of like the thought of talking about it just brings on that that feeling for me like I just don't get it. And you said you have to give up to get it. You know, and I'm thinking is this some kind of of uh, you know, is the discussion of it so hard for me to get my head around because I'm supposed to say, yeah, I just don't get it and give up trying. And then all of a sudden it'll, it'll happen. <laughs> like, like, I, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know. Shot and find out. I think if I, I guess I should preface this by saying that I don't, I have not had an experience like you have had with that, but I did have a friend of mine a long time ago, uh, who, was just a, a, f- a fun guy to hang out with, and we would go out to clubs. This is when I was you know, just out of college, I think. And uh, we'd hang out and go to Burger King and sit up late night talking and stuff like that. And he was um, more or less like a, an outdoorsman type of guy. He decided at one point that he was going to hike the Appalachian Trail, all of it. And I said, wow, man, that's, that's huge. Uh, but you're talking about a guy who would much rather go hunting or go trapping or go, you know, just walk in the woods or go camping than go to the mall or, uh, go race cars or whatever. And he was a rugged dude. I mean, he could really, uh, I remember going camping with him and, and I said, where's our tent? And he's like, you didn't bring a tent. Didn't you bring a sleeping bag? <laughs> Throw the sleeping bag on the ground and go sleep. And, uh, he went and he went to try to do the Appalachian Trail and he left and he said, I'll be back in six months or whatever it was. And he was back in two weeks and uh, he slowly found that he just could not hack it. Uh, he had nothing but bad luck when he went. It, it was raining. Or he got chased by a moose uh, and people laugh at that, but a moose will kill you uh, too sweet uh, if it feels like it. When he came back, he essentially just turned into a drug addict. It was like his whole world just completely fell apart because he couldn't accomplish this goal, which was really probably one of his life's goals to do this, this hike. Once he got cleaned up from the drugs, uh, he met up with uh, a young lady and she, uh, I will say was of a new age bend. I would, that's how I would categorize her. 
And um, he began to change in a significant way that was sitting and looking at a glass of water and saying, you know, uh, stuff to me like, how is that even there? You know, seeing beauty at an ice cube, that kind of stuff. And there was all of these deep insights that he and Lisa began talking about. And all I could do was sit there and go, this is news? <laughs> really? Because doesn't everybody think that way or not? I guess not because he didn't because he was finding all of this like a big awakening. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting really frustrated with him saying, how could you not like get that before? Where did you live before? How did you function? You know? So I'm sure in some ways I'm that guy to you <laughs> uh, because – uh, I'm not getting it. I don't. I don't quite understand um, what all that means. I don't meditate. My life is a series of. There's not enough hours in the day to do what I want to do, and I basically fill every waking moment with plugging in and turning up, as opposed to unplugging and doing nothing and just being quiet and doing all the meditative stuff. That the meditative stuff to me just doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't work for me. I guess life is life just plain out gets in the way. Uh, and I suppose that if I'm ever to, to, to understand what you mean, it, even though I may agree or disagree with it, uh, if I'm ever to get any sense of what you're trying to communicate with all this stuff, I guess I'm going to have to make a, pr- a priority to do that. I mean, last time you were here, you left me a, a Kirsten Murdy book. Lisa had to dust it the other day. <laughs> It was that engaging, eh? I just, I can't, you know, um, <laughs> and it's not, it's not that, uh, it's not that I don't want to get it. It's just that, uh, uh, it's like, how much weirdness do I want in reality? <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. Uh, um, I think I already see things a lot different than most people do. At least I think I do. And I only gain that thought from watching people around me and seeing how they interact and bringing up certain topics that seem to be completely foreign and weird to them. Uh, so I don't know. I, uh, I guess my focus is not in, um, awakening. I guess my focus is in chasing this, uh, carrot that's been dangling in front of us for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And still never being able to catch it, but, you know, chasing it. And I guess I'm just not at that point yet where I'm ready to go, all right, fuck it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that when you start talking about stuff, that's not embarrassing at all. I find it fascinating, but I, I don't get it. So that's the, that's the short answer. Yeah. Well, I think uh, it's um, at least at the base of it to me, uh, or I should say for me, uh, my own experiences um, tell me that they're – that there is, you know, at the very least, um, more to us than we know, as we know. Um, but there is something that could be our day-to-day reality that isn't that, that mm. is better than what we got. Mm. Um, and so I, I can't imagine that beings would come here or beings that are already here, that already know this stuff, would engage us on a bullshit level. Right. And so... To me, at the base level, my experiences at least tell me that the stories of, like, military handshake deals and all that sort of stuff just cannot be true. Right. It just cannot be about that. Like, I feel like I can at least eliminate some things and I can say, 
what would not happen? What would what would not facilitate disclosure on their end, or um, you know, landing on the White House lawn and all that? I can say what I can't say what will. I can say right. what won't, and well, that's anything to do with how we are now. Let me ask you this: Would you say, from your standpoint, and of course, no one's going to hold you to this because everybody changes uh, their thoughts about this stuff every day. Would you say that the purpose of or the meaning behind the phenomena is to awaken us? Um, yeah. Okay. Then why all the confusion? Uh, because, <laughs> because that's sort of how it has to be. <laughs> it's, it's like you can't, you can't get there by coddling or by explaining. Um, I, you know, ultimately I don't, I don't have the answer to why all of the various levels of confusion and I could be completely wrong. We could both be completely wrong in linking all of these various paranormal things together. You know? Absolutely. Uh, don't you think? I mean, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if, yeah. We're, if, if we're just to assume that that's not the case, at least for the sake of this, um, well, I would say that, that because they don't, they don't want to engage us consciously, um, they play to us unconsciously. They play to us subconsciously. Mm-hmm. They do all kinds of crazy shit. Or, um, or things that, that appear crazy consciously, but, but not unconsciously. But the other uh, option, I think, is what I've said before, which is um, that if they are of a whole consciousness, then we're only going to be able to get part of what they're doing, the surface level that connects with our surface level. The rest of it we're not going to get. So, so, when jo- so, gonna, so, when- so a complete action on their part is only going to partly look rational to us. The rest of it's going to look kooky. So when Joe Blow, who works down at uh, Burger King, uh, flipping burgers, is walking home one night and he sees a flying saucer, what does that mean? What does it always seem to mean? It, um, whether he fears it or is like, oh, wow, or whatever, um, it immediately tells him that... Uh, there's more. There's more, yeah, that the box we put ourselves into uh, is not real. And that the people who are laughing at it and making fun of it are completely wrong. Mm-hmm. And therefore, yeah. authority is wrong. <laughs> you know, this, well, this is sort of the interesting thing I thought about when when uh, Chuck was talking here. Um, uh, and in reading, uh, we're going to have uh, Maggie Jackson on, who is a fantastic author of a book called Distracted. Um, but she talks a little bit in there about spiritualism, you know, and it used to be the rich people in America and Europe were way into spiritualism. Uh, and then you look at... You know, UFO cases that involve military people and the best and the brightest, you know, of our day and all this. And so you've got these people in authority um, and these people with money who are having these varied paranormal experiences and interests in the paranormal throughout generations. And yet, just like George Hansen says, still the, the authority line on it is to laugh at it. Right. And I just, the more I think about that, the more I hear these stories from, you know, people who were top-of-the-line military, you know, Air Force guys, um, who should know better, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, how is it that we're still laughing at this stuff? It just doesn't make any sense to me. It, you know, is the elusiveness uh, of it all, uh, because marginality and anti-structure all goes into that uh that elusive nature of what this is, is it because we're supposed to work towards it and work at it for what? For, well, you know, certainly to, to, to get awakened. I mean, in terms of waking up or whatever that means, um, part of your question about like, you know, why, why 
who cares? Or, or one, one question is like, well, what are they doing differently than any sort of like spiritual religious leader has done in the past? You know, uh-huh. Deepak Chopra or somebody, you know? And I, I think the answer is, well, again, I, I, I'll use my, my shroom trip as, or, or a lucid dream where you mm-hmm. have to keep constantly reminding yourself that you're asleep in order to stay awake. And so it's not that they're doing anything different. It's that that repetition has to be there or we'll just completely be caught up in the delusion that all of this is real. And so the dude who sees a UFO, uh, that's that's like piercing the dream, you know? That's waking right. him up. It's up to right. him to keep awake. And I think that's probably why people uh, become so obsessive once they see a UFO. I, I think generally, you know, either they completely repress it and don't ever want to talk about it or become obsessive and studying all of it and forming, you know, various theories and become paranoid, whatever. Um, I think that's why. I think it's like, got to stay awake, got to stay awake. This is real. This is more real than what I've got. You know, or I don't want to deal with this. The one thing you can't do in the face of seeing a flying saucer is remain the same. And I think that's the instruction. Huh, a flying saucer. (laughs) Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's not happening. Right. Yeah. Good points, Jeremy. Um, and I also think that because I'm talking off the cuff, that a lot of times I get caught up in what the hell I'm saying and I forget what I'm saying, and I probably switch to other metaphors uh, too quickly, and that's probably why you don't get what the fuck I'm saying. <laughs> I think it's now, my fault as a bad communicator. Now, uh, it's, it's not that I don't get what you're saying. It's the immediate thing that comes to my mind at that point is, so, okay, what do I do? And uh, uh, what's the uh, b- b- because I mean all my anything. life. That's that's the whole thing. Well, and see that's that's the problem the is that what you would think you have to do, <laughs> which is something. Well, I mean, right? Because your culture, you know, it tells you that you know in order to accomplish a goal, you have to do X amount of things and do them in order, um, and all of that. I mean, it's not uh, easy. I had to read fucking books and and think about all this stuff for you know at least a year. Before I got it, and I was reading it and getting it logically. I mean, logically, I understood what the hell he was saying. Well, what 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 first enacted you to even pursue this? Um, I remember I was reading a Ken Wilber book. Somebody had turned me on to Ken Wilber, this old roommate, and he had said, you know, he seemed like a really smart cookie, and he said he cut his teeth on Krishnamurti. And I was walking by a book stand, and they had Krishnamurti books, so I thought, hey, okay, I'll pick one up. And then I thought, and then I read it, and I thought, I don't know what the hell this guy is saying, but there was something appealing about it, so right. I just kept reading it, you know. And then the more I read, the more I, I, I finally went, okay, I at least logically get this. It wasn't still real to me, but I got it, you know. Hmm. Uh, and then after enough of that, it's like once you exhaust yourself, it's like all right, put up or shut up, you know. <laughs> all right. Like I'm done because then I, I think I realized my reading these things then became the obstacle, you know. It's like, what's your mm. final obstacle in this? What's your final thing to hang on to yourself? It's to say, well, I, I get it, and I'm, and I'm getting better, you know? Mm. Um, and I think once you see through that, once you can shake that off, then the onion has been peeled, young grasshopper. Right. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I kind of go back to that one experience, which I've probably talked about where the beings, uh, you know, uh, I don't know that I went anywhere. I didn't go anywhere, but I was in my bed. I was at my mom and dad's and I was laying there and, you know, they show you things that more often than not, 
you'd probably rather not see because there is a feeling that goes with it that is, I don't know, kind of kind of virtual reality based, I guess, sort of. And I, I saw the moon. I saw the moon and I saw the sun and I saw both of them with like razor clarity, almost as if you were there. And uh, I remember making I remember making some comment about the moon, you know, and thinking, you know, knowing that I wasn't on the moon, but knowing that this was something I'm being shown in some kind of panoramic thing. And I was like, it's such a it's such an amazing thing. It's this it's nature and this, you know how this all came to be. And the, the reply to that was, what do you think that's real? (laughs) Um, and not, do I think the, 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 what I'm being shown is real, but you think the moon is real. You think that's real. And with that came the all consuming horror, which was, well, if the moon's not real, then I can't be real either. And then there was this overwhelming, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and I don't know that that was, I don't know that that was the point where I said that I didn't think that the way this world works and the way we get up and we eat breakfast and we go to work, that that's, I've thought all my life, this is really not how this is supposed to be. You know, dad shouldn't have to go to work. Mom and dad should be able to stay home with me and we should be able to go to the ocean or, or whatever. I mean, we, we, was that a dream we sh- or was that a real experience? Uh, that was an experience. Uh, but, and one of the very few that I recount that happened in bed. Uh, so there's always that, there's always that twinge of thought in me that it, that it was some sort of dream state. But when you're awakened by someone slapping you on the forehead, then <laughs> I don't know. I kind of, uh, I kind of think that, that that happened uh just by virtue of how the sting felt when it hit my forehead i, I don 't know that that was the point where I realized that that all of this is not exactly as real as we think it is, but more like a game or a more like a let 's watch and see what he 'll do next if we do this or we do that and so I kind of got into this mindset that do they do they kind of set things in motion do they uh, are they responsible for the synchronicities or chance meetings like you talked about tonight? Are they responsible for, for that? Are they, respe- are they responsible for uh, meeting people that will kind of further you a little bit? That kind of thing. I don't know. This is all just a big dance to well, me. It's to the, me, the question um, is, can you be responsible for those things? Can I be responsible for who I meet and... Well, not just the mundane, you know, who I meet, but can you be like that? You know, can we, can humans be that <sighs> thing? And if we can, why aren't we trying to get there? I mean, how many how many ways do you need somebody to fucking hit you over the head? If you've got, like, these experiences <laughs> telling you, and you've got your radio partner telling you, and you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, at what point do you say, you know what, I'm not, I'm going to stop chasing after the dangling carrot mm. and fucking dust off the book and sit down with this? I mean, what oh, yeah. you realize nothing's working. Uh, well, thanks for the bitch slap, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> and that goes for the entire audience, by the way. I mean, I've told you before, and I've, and I've said this on the show, that uh, I don't think there's any answer to all this stuff that we're chasing. But I'm not so – I think, like you said, it's one layer to the onion. But I feel like you, it, it's like the drugs. It's like you need to do it to get there before having the discussion. 
Yeah, I think it I'm, I'm sure you do. I don't think it's this. It's like, well, look through the telescope already, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I should crack the book, eh? Uh, you have to realize that in 20 plus years, it's been crack a book, failure, crack a book, failure, crack a book, failure. And granted, you'll <laughs> probably fall asleep when you crack the book. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just, it's, I hate to say it, but everything within this from, from cases, unexplained ones. I mean, Christ, I mean, half the time you're, you're, you're fucking overjoyed when it's a hoax. It's, it's terrible to say that kind of thing, but at least there's a definitive answer there, you know? Uh, when you've got these unknowns floating around all the time, you know, what do you do with that? You you essentially admit to failure is what that is. A victory in ufology is admitting a failure to explain. Hmm. When you've got a, a hoax, at least you can say, here's how they did it. Here's what's going on. Here are the people involved, and here it is, and lay it out on the, on the operating table, and then just start dissecting it. You just said a, a uh, probably one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard. Somebody – Quote the man on that. Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, a victory. A victory in ufology is a failure to explain. Yeah, that's that's genius. Well, that's what everybody wants, right? Everybody wants. Uh, you know, you see a flying saucer, you want it to be unexplained. You don't want it to be a frisbee. <laughs> so that's the only. That's the. I mean, we're chasing abject failure all the time. That's what we're looking for. And everybody can sit around and throw theory after theory out and. You and I can do this till the cows come home. We're always going to be wrong. I don't care how you cut it. That leads me to exactly what we've been talking about privately, which is that I'm hanging on by the last grips of my fingernails from just dumping this all over again um, and just you know doing the show and talking to people and all that. But after that, just getting up and walking away from it because I honestly – Yes, George Hansen stuff. Yeah, it's intensely interesting. McKenna stuff, intensely interesting. Uh, I think probably, and I'll this will surprise some people. I think that uh, that George's stuff almost fascinates me more than McKenna's does. But I think that when George talks about marginality and anti-structure and all that, that's all pertinent to the conversation. And and a lot of people don't recognize any of it in this. They just take the UFO field or the ghost thing or whatever, they take it for at face value. This is what it is. It's ETs or it's our departed. George looks at a, at a bigger picture, a, a much more um, all-encompassing uh, sphere of, of something that he kind of regulates to. How does it affect the people? What are the people doing? And why does this, you know, what, what happens when this manifests? What's going on in their lives? But that to me is dealing firmly in this reality. We're not going to be able to get to that core, just like he says. Just give up because you're never going to know the answer. All you can do is study what happens around it and try and then make some kind of prediction about what's going to happen in a, in a paranormal sense of the word. But is that enough for me to keep on with this? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, new directions are great, but everyone that I've kind of landed on within 20 years has been – just pretty much one failure after another. Just one, I can't get at it, I can't get at it, I can't get at it. And after a while, you're just like, all right, man, what the fuck ever? <laughs> you know, if everybody just wants a big mystery, then that, that that's all it's ever going to be is just one big mystery. I mean, my question that I pose to you is, when we're talking about these non-localized beings who um, are trying to awaken us to something – uh, to a greater sense of reality. Okay, I've already got that greater sense. I get that part. The question is, 
what's the flying saucer for? What's the what's your green uh, uh, reflexively rotating thing in the sky? What's that for? I don't think you're woken up at all to a greater sense of reality. Well, in the sense of the general public who I mean, doesn't think any of this is worth a shit. Right, right. I mean, you're woken up in the sense. I guess it's the difference between like uh, being woken up to like oneness the way Oprah is. And, like, we've got to recycle and do great things right. to preserve the Earth. That's sort of thought-based. And then right. there's the actual seeing from the point of view of oneness, which none of us really do, you know, which is, like, right. I think probably what these beings do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even if that's a hive mind or something like that. And so I think it's the same thing. It's 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 not just, oh, I get it. There's uh, there's more to life than than going to work and paying taxes. It's uh, actually your brain changing the way it functions mm-hmm. so that you can see behind the veil, you know, mm-hmm. and be a part of that larger collective. Uh, I think that's, if anything, I would think that that's what they're asking us to, you know, I guess join for lack of a better term. So I guess that would be. Well, I guess the question bears then is can you trust them? Can I trust them? In compared to what? <laughs> Uh, that it is not, I mean, I don't think you've experienced anything in that state that's inherently negative, but has your experiences, I mean, you, you, most times you ask me, you know, was that uncomfortable? Does that sound silly? I mean, so obviously it brings forth that, but has it in your life, has it more or less alienated you from people or has it done the opposite? Has this overall been a positive effect on you? Or is it not a question? Is it not a question of positive or negative? It just is what it is. Yeah, I think it just is what it is. I mean, okay. I, I haven't, you know, I haven't suffered at work for it. I haven't suffered friendships uh, for it or anything mm-hmm. like that. Okay, um, it's eaten away at me. You know, certainly the questions and all that, especially you know when I was younger. Well, I mean, you've, 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 and I'm not sure if you want this going on in the air or not, but you've, you've related to me that the state of mind that you have now is like, okay, you know, I'm done here. Yeah. You know, in other words, time to die. Uh, <laughs> well, now we're getting into other territory. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I certainly, when I had the giant I am um, experience, I, I absolutely made the conscious decision to remain as I am mm-hmm. uh, and not take whatever that next leap is, um, specifically to talk about it and sort of hold open the door or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Whatever I can do. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, it was just sort of an instinctive... It was an impulse buy into the shitty reality that we all know and love. <laughs> right, um, right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like um, this whole state of affairs that, that we find ourselves in, this this pendulum back and forth, war, peace, good, evil, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff, is just, it's such a, a dead concept to me, you know? And it's it's fun to sit around and laugh in it and stir up trouble and whatever, but, uh, you know, ultimately what the fuck are we doing? It's all masturbatory at this point. Yeah. Uh, kind of, you know, just how you feel about this subject. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I do feel like, you know, I'm not about to kill myself anytime soon, but, uh, you know, say I had sleep apnea and I, and I were to die in my sleep. Well, I probably wouldn't do anything to prevent it. You know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's great. Where do I send the flowers? Uh, um, no, and, and I'm the exact opposite. I mean, you as the dis- kill yourself. <laughs> no, <Wow. laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, 
I mean, I feel like I fucked up in some way. You know what I mean? Because I certainly had the great girlfriend that I then, because of that giant God experience and the fact that I, I couldn't even experience any sexual stimulation without immediately having this horrible headache, I thought was someone or something telling me, you've got to take this pious path now. You're, you're on this pious path. Now, looking back on it, I think that I was overly stimulated, uh, like in some sort of tantric sexual way that I didn't, that I didn't understand. And so, uh, you know, I just didn't know what, you know, I just misread it, you know? So what else did I misread? Did I also misread? No, no, Jerry, you need to write a book about this stuff. And, and then you get to die to the experience Mm. and become that next thing. Did I misread that too? I mean, I, I certainly am taking my sweet ass time about everything and I certainly am not doing myself any favors. I mean, I don't feel it's, it's just weird. It's weird to talk about like, Oh, I feel miserable and not miserable at the same time because I think if I had my old mindset with these circumstances, mm-hmm. I would uh, probably have uh, locked myself up by now or, or killed myself or something. <laughs> but because of these experiences, I don't feel depression in that way. Mm. So even though it's there, even though I see it, it's almost like I'm numb to it. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like I'm, I'm sort of numb to my own pain in a way, I guess. Mm. But um, I don't even want to make it sound that dramatic because it actually it doesn't feel that dramatic. It's just that we're talking about it. Right. Right. Well, Father Jeremy, um, when we, um, <laughs> uh, and, and, and let's, let's, let me, um, let me just say that, that despite being, or despite seeing ufology and the paranormal as a big shit bucket right now, um, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still incredibly fascinated by it. I'm still, I still want to hear about other people's experiences. I still want to study it. I guess I'm just tired of the public's perception of it. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm so over all of the argument over ET and what are they and all. I'm so over that. I, I don't even care about that anymore. That's not even a, that's not even a question. And I'm, and the convincing of people who don't get it or who don't, or who would rather laugh at it? I'm. I don't even care anymore. You don't believe it? Don't believe it. I don't care. I, I guess that's the part that really sickens me about all of it. I mean, I guess again, this all comes down to control issues for me. In that, you know, I don't think you would have a problem going out and standing in a field in the middle of the night in the dark. I don't think that would bother you. <laughs> and and having that uh, the slit open up in the back of my neck and. You know, something dragged me kicking and screaming into the universe. Uh, yeah, that might be a little bit traumatic to me. Uh, but I guess that's what was all meant by, you know, let go. You know, what do you think that's real? Are you sure? Which has been the, 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 the mantra of these things since the beginning has been, are you sure uh, about everything that I say or everything that I mention or can blurt out in the course of an experience? That's been the reply. Are you sure? Maybe it's time just for for you know for our audience too. Maybe we should take the leap and just say, okay, let's let's look at this and let's read and and see where it gets me. I mean, my thought is is if I'm am I just supposed to lay down, shut my eyes, and go, okay, I give it up, forget it, <laughs> or is it a whole thought process of changing the way I have to think and you know all of that? Is it? It's not work, you say, but it's definitely not easy by any stretch. It doesn't sound like to me. No, it's a paradox. It's like it's not work, but it's work to figure that out. Unless, you know, the more you struggle against it, like even saying, is it just do I shut my eyes because uh, and then it happens? Uh, no, because then you're shutting your eyes expecting a result. And so, no, it won't. Mm. 
all you, all you can even do is explain it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, there is no magic formula beyond saying, do it for the sake of doing it and don't expect a result. You know, it's like, well, duh. Well, how do you get to that? Uh, right. That's the problem. I mean, to, that's, you, you that to, to me is... Your brain. You somehow have to convince the brain that it's never going to think its way out of this. You know, that thought mm-hmm. has nothing to do with this. It can't get this. And once the brain gets it, can't get it, it shuts up. And then mm. the process is the process, you know, you don't have to do anything else. Mm. So, yeah, there's that. Mm. Now now that I've just scared everyone that I'm suicidal and, and you've scared everyone that the show's going away. <laughs> the show's not going anywhere. The show's not going anywhere. This was a deep fucking episode. What's wrong with us tonight? What are we, girls? <laughs> Well, I've got to tell you, I mean, just to get even more psycho babble on you, um, you know, sometimes I, I feel like, uh, you know, gee, maybe I should go see a shrink or just somebody to talk to, you know, in the way that people talk to a shrink, just about normal stuff, just like mm-hmm. get shit off your chest, not because, like, I'm completely miserable about anything in particular, but because uh, it does become a lot to think about after a while. It's like, well, you got to let out the steam somehow, but then I think, like, there's no... There's no shrink that can say anything better than what I already know. You know what well, I mean? Well, they'll lock you up. Well, forget the lock uh, me up thing. <laughs> I, I'm actually, what I'm talking about is deeper than psychology, and so mm-hmm. there's nothing that a psychologist has to offer me. And I think that's my problem. An like, ear. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's like, and then I think about that, and I'm like, well, gee, aren't you special? You know, you've, you've really <laughs> found a way to be the special of the special, haven't you? Mm-hmm. It's like not just enough to like, you know, UFOs and all of this. It's like... No, you've got to be alone in this. It's like, well, but it just happens to be the case. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Maybe that's part. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, I'm sure. And then uh, I think about it, and then and then sometimes I'm, you know, it, it, it's that waking up moment of like, oh, well, no, Jared, duh, you do get this, so stop pitching about it. It's not a big deal. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, do you feel that way? Like, where you sort of wake up out of yourself now and then, and step back and and see that the stuff you're sort of whining about isn't a big deal and you really do get it. It's just that you, for whatever reason, are more comfortable bitching about it and then being sort of depressed about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back when we were buying the house. Absolutely. I mean, cause I, I, I have to say, I mean, aside from the birth of my son, which was another time where I go back to the old adage of what I say to you when we're confronted with the, uh, uh, the woo woos, uh, what are we doing here? <laughs> You know, uh, and I often step back from all those kind of situations and go, this is just retarded. Why am I – I'm talking about daily life here, not anything so deep as what you are. But just in daily life, I go, man, you know, is any of this stuff so worth the effort of getting so bent about? And it's not, but I still do it. I still get worked up over it. Yeah, uh, yeah at work. You know, when I, when, I, when I used to have a job, you know, <laughs> for like at least a year – I, you know, people would have their little office issues and all that mm-hmm. gossip and all that stuff. And I, and I would just, you know, I'd be the laid back guy and, and, uh, and laugh about it and all that. And it's like, it's no big deal. You guys, this is just a fucking job. Yeah. Wake up. This is just a job, you know? And eventually, you know, uh, they wanted to break me, you know, it's like, and so I broke, you know, eventually it's like, I started joining in and then I started sort of believing it or whatever, you know, or like, yeah, that's right. Gossip, gossip, gossip. Yeah, this person, that person. But even so, even when I was getting all worked up about it, there's still a piece of me stepped back going, Jer, come on, this is all a stupid show. You know, this isn't the real deal. Well, 
<laughs> and I even feel that way with our little, you know, I, I okay, I'll bring up the Paracast one last time. I feel that way with the Paracast well. thing where it's like I get worked up about that stuff. But there is still a piece of me stepping back going, this isn't important, you know? Like, right. we're all just people. <laughs> what is yeah. this about? You know? I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can tell you in the in the art world that I'm immersed in, you know, and I tell <laughs> – and it's terrible to be this way. I, I think it was, I don't know, a month ago or something, some guy called me up. My dad was talking to him at his business, and he said, yeah, my son's an artist. You should call him. And, you know, he was asking me about colleges and, you know, where do I go to, to do commercial art? And where do I go to do this and that? And I was like, dude, do, do yourself a favor. Do something else <laughs> because – this profession is just uh, – you do – you get assigned a project in my world. You get assigned a project and you do that project and you do it in a way that is in the way of which you were educated and, and, and the aesthetics. And you, you go through all of this, this psychological placement of everything where it should be and how it should be and colors and design and schematic and all of that. You go through all of that stuff. And you get the thing done, you sit back and you go, yeah, that's it. That's that's what this should be. And then you take that project to a boss who tells you, well, why don't you move this up here and make that smaller and change that color because I don't like that green. What? You've taken ownership of something that doesn't mean anything to begin with. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Because the fucking moron who – has absolutely no design eye whatsoever is the one that's paying your mortgage and is the one that is, you know, that is essentially telling you what's right and what's wrong because this is an opinion based business. There's aesthetics, there's correctness, there's effectiveness in advertising. And you could do the most effectual, perfect piece that you could think of. And Whoever your boss may be will say, yeah, change that, make that, do this, do that, because they feel they have to be involved in the creative process in some way. That's the only reason, you know? And so therefore, the artist in all of this is marginalized because you're hired to do a job, but in the end, you're just a tool. So the answer to that and the answer that that I've come to realize about the profession is – is uh, take ownership as, as far as your front door of it. And after that, realize, just like you said, it's just it's just a job. You're there to deliver what someone wants, and that's what you have to do. Don't take ownership of it past that. So it's not that you don't take pride in what you do. It's not that you don't want it to be right, but you can't get yourself so bent over it that you lose sight of, I'm doing what I'm here to do. I'm doing you know, the job I've known that I was going to do since I was nine years old, and that should be enough. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, in the end, it just doesn't matter. So I've, 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 I've had that. You want to know where I've worked on myself, quote unquote, worked on myself. That's where I've worked on myself. That's how shallow I am. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Stop taking Everything, and I've been that way all my life. Take everything to heart. Take everything, you know. Well, duh, Jeff. Don't you already yeah. know that? Oh, sure. I knew that about myself a long time ago. <laughs> but you know, stop, stop aggravating myself because that's really when you, when you boil it all down, that's what you're doing. You're just tormenting yourself. You know the situation. You know how it is. You know how it works. You've been doing it for, you know, since I was 18 years old. 
don't you get it by now? Right. And now it's finally worked its way through my skull at 42 that this is the way it works. So now I need to apply that same line of thought to this. You know, I need to stop caring and stop being reactionary and stop worrying about every little nuance of, of what it is and just start saying, I don't know what it is. I'm never going to get it. And it's while it's very interesting and it's neat to debate and talk about, you know, let go. Now that you know we're insane, <laughs> right? To we, sh- we should get lots of lo- new listeners because <laughs> everyone likes to watch a fucking car wreck, <laughs> right? The ambulance is pulling up, Paratopians. <laughs> Don't you want to look inside, see the blood-battered, twisted corpses of Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman inside? Sure you do. Go forth, Paratopians. Be fruitful and multiply. But not over 500 million. (laughs) Listen to the stones.